Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of the podcast from Pete Town. Hope everybody's having another good week out there. We didn't end up getting the snow that I thought we were going to get uh, the past couple of days, but I think they got some up in the mountains, so that's good. That's where we kind of really need it. We did end up getting the cold weather though, which kind of sucks because I don't mind the cold too much, but when there's no snow to go with it, it's kind of a downer. Um, Taking a look at the news really quick. We lost another one. Howard Hessman ended up dying, I think, on Saturday or something like that. And he wasn't real famous like some of the other ones that have recently died, but he was probably best known as the DJ on WKRP in Cincinnati, an old show from the 70s or 80s or something like that. I remember watching it a little bit. But he ended up dying this week, and I don't remember exactly what he died for. Uh, The other thing that died this week was Tom Brady's NFL career. He announced just today, he actually finally made the announcement that he was retiring. Uh, It had come out on social media, I think, a few days ago um, about his retirement. But it sounds like he finally made the actual announcement today. And like him or not, he's probably going to go down as one of the best or the best quarterback of all time. I wasn't a super huge fan, and I'm not really sure why. Maybe it was just because he was so dang good and always beat the teams I wanted to win. But he retired, and he's probably going to go on and make bunches of money on endorsements and things like that. So uh, I don't think – I think he still was able to play. I was actually just listening to a NFL thing on the radio tonight on my drive home, and he was – they were saying, you know, he was – he was still able to probably perform pretty well on the field, but you know, he's got a wife and kids and you know, those guys, they do spend a lot of time on the road traveling from city to city during the season. And then even in the off season, they're expected to be at practice and stuff. So I can kind of see his point. He's ran his course and uh, made a name for himself. So it's good for him to step out. Ben Roethlisberger also announced his retirement, I believe. And he was another, uh, great quarterback that is going to be in the hall of fame um he announced his retirement a few days ago i don't remember what day it was that he announced his but sounds like uh he's retiring as well and sticking with the football thing looks like we're going to be watching the rams in cincinnati in the super bowl should be a pretty good game i'm not exactly really sure who i want to win that game i like uh, neither one of them are my favorite teams, but I do like Joe Burrow for Cincinnati, and I like Matt Stafford. Um, it Hopefully, it'll be a pretty good game. Looking at some other news, it seems like there's a war on cops out there nowadays. More and more cops have been killed this last week uh, in ambushes and just mindless shooting. And, you know, it's going to come to a point, I think, you know, where the cops are going to end up fighting back even harder you know these people are getting these career criminals and stuff are getting out on these uh joke bond things you know where they have to pay a thousand dollar bond or something like that and then they're set free and then you know jails aren't holding people unless it's a really heinous crime that they're in there for and you know i think a lot of people are getting fed up with all these cops getting shot and killed another th- a firefighter was fighting a uh a fire I don't remember where it was at, but he ended up getting shot and killed. While he's out there trying to put out this house fire, he ends up getting shot and killed. And so something, I mean, something's going to come to a head here before too long, I feel. And 
it really, I mean, I think they need to be taking the fight back to the criminals at some point. It's getting kind of ridiculous out there. These guys that are going out there putting their life on the line day in and day out to keep the rest of us safe. And then they get ambushed or, or whatever, you know, it's just, it's getting ridiculous. Last week, I talked a little bit about that Wuhan um, leak thing about the virus being leaked from the lab. And I saw another news story on it uh, today that said that scientists, uh, some scientists had came out and said that they were basically silenced on the Wuhan leak. And part of it kind of makes sense because they said that the scientific community silenced them because if news had gotten out that this was like a man-made virus or something like that, then all these scientific researchers and stuff would lose their funding. You know, you create a a disease that ends up killing so many people all across the world and puts the whole world into a pandemic, and then nobody's going to fund you anymore for wanting to do more research on something else, which, you know, I can't blame people if that is truly what happened or whatever. Um, You know, we can't be funding these people to do these types of projects unless there's controls in place so that we don't ever have to run into this thing again. Luckily, with this Moronicon or Autobot or whatever variant we're at right now, um, it's not as deadly doesn't seem to be as deadly as some of the previous ones we've had, but it's, um, hopefully, like I said, like I've said, I don't think we're ever going to see the total end of COVID, but hopefully the things will get down to where it's just like a flu bug or something like that. And I have heard some people talking that, that have gotten this latest variant of the week. And they say that, um, you know, it's just, it's kind of like a bad flu or something like that. But anyhow, I think that's about enough of the news. Um, getting into what we're going to talk about tonight or on our regular scheduled programming, we're going to be talking about Ernest Hemingway. And he was born on July 21st of 1899, and he was born in Oak Park, Illinois. His father was a physician, and his mother was a musician, so they were pretty well off. They... Uh, were both respected members of their community and stuff, and they lived a pretty good life. Incident, he was named after his grandfather on his mom's side, who his parents, they lived with him when they, got, when they first got married, and so that's who they end up naming him after. They end up having six children altogether. Uh, his mom, she taught him to play the cello from a pretty young age. He didn't want to learn to play it. Um, he didn't it's kind of like his mom forced him into playing it. This may be why as an adult, um, he professed to hate his mother, but biographers of his also said that he and his mother, they were very similar in their, um, personalities and things like that. Each summer, his family would travel to Windermere, which was on Walloon Lake. Uh, this was the name of the cabin that his family had, which I kind of always wondered where that, the Windermere real estate, um, company name come from and I guess this is it but his family they had this cottage what they call it constructed on a site in 1900 it cost him $400 originally uh, which is about $13,000 today and you know for a physician doesn't seem like that's too bad but Ernest they'd uh, go here and he'd end up learning to fish and to hunt and stuff like that with his dad and it kind of created a love for him at a young age or for the outdoors 
at a pretty young age. Uh, he liked being outdoors, hunting, and stuff like that. He liked to be in remote, isolated areas. During the school year, he would attend Oak Park and River Forest High School. Uh, during school, though, he was pretty much like a lot of other people. He did well in sports. He got good grades. It's, you know, nothing really out of the ordinary uh, with him there. He's just kind of an average student. Uh, he tried to join the Army in 1917 during World War One, but he was rejected due to poor eyesight. So he ended up going to the Red Cross and became an ambulance driver in Italy. And one thing you'll see as we go through the story about this guy, this guy, he had bad luck. Uh, immediately when he got there, he was basically shown the horror of war. He got sent to a munitions factory that had exploded, and they were retrieving the shredded remains of the female workers there. Um, he actually recorded the incident in a book he wrote uh, in 1932 called Death in the Afternoon, and it seemed like that scarred him pretty well. Happened to He said that you know there were just like body parts all over the place, which would probably scar anybody. But then after he'd been there a bit, uh, he was returning from the canteen with a chocolate and cigarettes for the guys on the front line, and he was actually seriously wounded by mortar fire. Um, I didn't see if it was like friendly fire or what it was, but it ended uh, wounding him pretty pretty bad. He ended up with shrapnel in his legs, and he had to stay in the hospital for six months after this, and he was only 18 at the time, so, you know, like so many of our veterans that get injured, they're pretty young when it happens. Um, while he was in the hospital, he fell in love with one of the nurses there. This is another thing that you'll find out as we go through about him. He doesn't take him too long to fall in love and evidently doesn't take him too long to fall out of love either. But anyhow, he thought they would end up getting married once he got out, but he, re once he moved, got, uh, moved out of that hospital, he received a letter a few months later stating that she was engaged to a British officer. And this actually severely scarred him and messed with his psyche pretty much. And they said that this would lead to him into a pattern of abandoning women before they could come to abandon him. And I think this was kind of like his first love, and he was all head over heels for her. So he returned home from the war in 1919, but he was having conflicts with what he had seen. He didn't know how to explain it in those days, which I think these days we'd end up calling it PTSD. Then in September, he took a camping trip with one of, with some of his old high school buddies, and this trip inspired uh, his book *Big Two-Hearted River*. Uh, it was kind of it was listed as a semi-autobiographical. Uh, it talks about a young man returning from the war, and he's dealing with all the stuff that he'd seen and whatnot. So he takes off to the country for solitude. So it was kindly kind of a little bit of writing about like what he was going through and whatnot. But he ended up needing a job, and family friend offered him a job in Toronto. Uh, later that year, he was a freelancer and a staff writer for the Toronto Star. And then in June, he ended up moving back to the United States and ended up in Chicago. Uh, he was still writing stories for the Toronto Star. Uh, he was living with a roommate in Chicago, and at th this time, his roommate's sister came by to visit, and he was immediately infatuated with her. Her name was Hadley Richardson. And he said he knew immediately that he was going to marry her, which it seems like every woman he ever talked to, he seemed like he knew immediately he was going to marry them. But she was eight years older than he was, and they corresponded for a few months by letter, and they ended up getting married in September of that year. 
And then he got a job as a foreign reporter for the Toronto Star, and both of them, they end up moving to Paris to begin their life together over there. And in Paris, he was able to meet up with some pretty famous uh, people from back in the day, like uh, Gertrude Stein, who he was a writer and an art con collector. He ended up meeting Pablo Picasso, uh, which, interestingly enough, I always thought that, you know, Pablo Picasso is such a famous artist. I always thought he lived, like, back in the times of Da Vinci or somebody like that. But I think he actually died in, like, 1973 or 1976 or something like that. Uh, while he was over there, he met a poet by the name of Ezra Pound. And it seems him and Stein, they turned, they ended up touring Italy together. But then Hemingway broke away from Stein, which is, they had a, liter a literary, literary quarrel that spanned several decades between the two of them so they're pretty good buddies but uh once they kind of broke apart they uh they weren't such good buddies anymore but anyhow at this time he was writing quite a bit in the first 20 months in paris he wrote 88 stories for the toronto paper and he also had a, f a suitcase that was filled with his manuscripts but his wife uh, she was coming to visit him in Geneva one time, and she ended up losing the suitcase that had all these manus manuscripts in them. And it pretty much devastated him. Um, I would have loved to be the guy that found that suitcase. But, yeah, that really uh, devastated him when she lost all those, which I can imagine. Then in September of 1923, they ended up moving back to Toronto. And here they end up having their first uh, child, then in October, his first uh, book was published called Three Stories and Ten Poems. Two of the stories that were in it were all that was left of the that suitcase that he had. This Two of the stories um, were all that was left of that. Must have been a couple of uh, manuscripts that he ended up taking with him or something. But then in January of 1924, he and his family, they returned to Paris again. Um, he'd really missed it when they went to Canada. He missed the European lifestyle and whatnot. And so they moved back to Paris. Uh, while they were living there, he would end up meeting F. Scott Fitzgerald, and they end up forming a friendship together. And he was reading The Great Gatsby that Fitzgerald wrote. Uh, it helped Hemingway decide that his next book would be a novel. Before, he was just writing short stories and whatnot. And after reading this, he decided that he was going to write a novel. But while they lived over there, he and his wife, they also traveled to Spain. And while they were there, he ended up falling in love with bullfighting. They'd end up returning to Pamplona for the next couple of years, always to go down there and watch the bullfighting. And in July of 1925, he was there, and he began writing the draft for The Sun Also Rises. Then in December, um, they were in Austria, and he met a gal by the name of Pauline Pfeiffer. And he was working on the revising the script for the Sun Also Rises book. And she talked him into signing a contract with Scribner's in New York as a publisher. So he ended up traveling to New York and he signed the papers to get the book published. And then on his way back to Paris, or back to uh, where his wife was, he ended up stopping in Paris and he began having an affair with Pfeiffer. And um, with all this going on, Scribner's in this ended up publishing the novel in 1926 and then in 1927 he and his wife Hadley they end up getting divorced after she found out about the affair she wasn't too keen about that idea he ended up marrying Pfeiffer a short time afterwards and in 1928 he and uh, Pfeiffer they end up leaving Paris and returning to the U.S. and she was pregnant at the time so they didn't 
waste any time in that regards. Back in the States, they end up traveling around uh, quite a bit. He would spend time, uh, or spend his winters in Key West, and he'd spend his summers in Wyoming, where he'd be able to go out there and do a lot of hunting and whatnot, which is what he really loved to do. In 1930, he was in Billings, Montana, and he broke his arms, uh, and he ended up spending seven weeks in the hospital. He seems kind of accident prone. I'm not, I don't remember exactly if it said how he broke his arms, but anyhow, yeah, he spent seven weeks in the hospital. Then in 1931, he ended up having his third son. It was just a second with him and uh, Pfeiffer, but it was his third. Her uncle, uh, she was came from a pretty well-to-do family, and her uncle had bought them a cottage in Key West that they lived in. And the so, like I said, they'd spend the winters down there when he was around because it didn't seem like he spent a lot of time there. He was always traveling to Europe and Cuba. They also took a trip to Africa and visited a bunch of different countries over in Africa. And then when they got back, he ended up buying a, a boat and he spent time sailing around the Caribbean. Then when the Spanish Civil War broke out, he headed to Spain to report on that. And he spent some time over there reporting all that stuff. And then he came back again. Then he left for Cuba for a while. Uh, so, like I say, he was always on the go traveling from one place or another. And needless to say, this kind of began a slow, spit, slow split from Pauline. They started growing uh, farther and farther apart. And to also add to that slow split, he ended up meeting a gal by the name of Martha Gellhorn who traveled to Cuba with him. He rented a place there that he and Martha stayed at in Cuba. And then the next summer, his, um, his wife Pauline left him, and he and Martha got married in November of 1940. So it's he was, you know, he was kind of keeping it on the down low a little bit, but then he just started to, like not being going back to Key, to Key West to see his wife and his kids. He was spending all his time with Martha down in Cuba. So now he moved his summer rev residence to Idaho instead of Wyoming, and his winter residence was in Cuba at the time. But all the while, while all this was going on, he was continuing to write books. Uh, as while he was with this Gilhorn Gel gal that he wrote his most famous book called For Whom the Bell Tools. I haven't actually read it. Um, he actually finished it the month before they end up getting married. This book, it ended up selling about a half a million copies in just a few months. It also got him a nomination for the Pulitzer Prize. And so then Martha, his wife, uh, she ended up getting sent to China for her work. So he went there with her. Um, and they lived over there for a while while she got her work done there. Then they returned back to Cuba. And while he was in Cuba, he actually talked to the government, to the Cuban government, to help him refit his boat, and he was going to use it to sink sink German subs off the coast. He, uh, this was, you know, obviously about the time World War II was going on, and he was going to travel around the island and whatnot and use his own boat to sink the German subs. And I never did actually see if he got anywhere with him, but that was his plan. So, sorry this is kind of jumping around a bit. He spent so much different time traveling, I wasn't sure what stories to talk about on his travels and whatnot. He actually, he had quite a few different biographers write about his life. And I think some of it was due to how much time he spent traveling and all the stuff he did. But anyhow, uh, then he ended up going to Europe uh, during World War II to report on the war over there. While he was there, he met a gal that worked for Time Magazine by the name of Mary Welsh. 
and again, he immediately became infatuated with her. Martha wasn't, this is kind of interesting, Martha wasn't with him at the time because she had to cross the ocean on a boat filled with explosives. And this was because he refused to get her a press pass to travel across with him. So um, she ended up having to go on a boat and she wasn't happy with him because when she got to London, she found that he was in the hospital from a car accident. Um, and she went to the hospital, wasn't happy with him at all, probably didn't enjoy her time on the boat much, very much. So she went to the hospital and told him they were through, and his divorce was finalized later that year. Then he asked Mary to, mar asked Mary to marry him on their third meeting. The third time they had been out together, he ended up asking her to marry him. And so the two of them returned to Cuba, where he continued to write. But um, at this point, everything that was going on, he was starting to sink into depression. And in 1948, they ended up returning to Europe. They were in Venice for a little bit, where he fell in love with a 19-year-old girl. And that one didn't really lead to much. He ended up not getting divorced over her. It was also about this time that he wrote The Old Man in the Sea. It only took him eight weeks to write that, and he ended up winning a Pulitzer Prize for that one. I honestly thought this was his most famous book, but evidently the For Whom the Bell Tolls was more famous than this one. Then in 1954, they were traveling again. They were in Africa. He had just won the Nobel Prize for Literature in October of that year. And they were flying over the Belgian Congo, and the plane ended up hitting an abandoned, an abandoned utility pole and crashed. And so they were trying to make it to the hospital to Entebbe to care for their wounds in Uganda. And the next plane they got on, it exploded on takeoff. And so I think I'd be done with planes at that point. But they finally made it to Entebbe, and when they arrived, they found that reporters there were already reporting saying that he was dead. But he ended up recuperating, and he went on a fishing trip with his son and his wife in February of 1955. This was only two months after the plane crashes. But again, bad luck found him on the fishing trip. A brush fire broke out, and he ended up sustaining second-degree burns over a lot of his body. And this is kind of when his drinking stepped up a bit, became more intense, which also added to uh, his depression stepping up as well. And so he kind of got over this. They finally ended up leaving Cuba in 1960. His health at this point was getting worse and worse. They were living in New York, and he had to travel to Spain to be photographed for Life magazine. And there were reports coming out that he was pretty ill while he was over there. But he cabled his wife to tell her that he was okay because she was getting pretty worried about him. But um, along with all the depression and everything that was going on with him, he also started to become paranoid. Uh, when he got back to Mary's apartment in New York, he wouldn't leave because he thought he was being watched. He thought the FBI was out to get him. Um, so, you know, all this was mounting and adding up and adding up. He'd left some manuscripts in a bank vault in Cuba. Uh maybe so his wife wouldn't lose him in a suitcase or something. But he was worried that he would never get back down there to retrieve him, which I think somebody actually did go down and retrieve him. But with all this, his wife ended up having it admitted to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota in November of 1960. But by April of 61, they were at his home in Idaho. And one morning, Mary, she came into the kitchen, and he was there holding a shotgun. And she ended up calling his doctor who is a doctor that he had kind of used throughout his life. And the doctor ended up sedating him and had him put in the hospital in Sun Valley. 
Once the weather cleared enough, his doctor flew him to Rochester for treatment. And evidently, the treatments back in these days was electroshock therapy. Um, and he had to go through all that. But finally, he was released, and he was back in Ketchum, Idaho, on July, or back in Ketchum, Idaho. And then on July 2nd of 1961, he ended up grabbing his favorite shotgun, went upstairs, and shot himself. So I don't think the shock therapy actually worked. And then he was buried in Ketchum Cemetery in Ketchum, Idaho. And that was pretty much it for uh, old Ernest Hemingway. He had quite a life. He traveled quite a bit, had a lot of wives, had a lot of problems, and he ended up taking his life in the end of it. So, hope you guys enjoyed it. We're, uh, the listeners are keep climbing. I was checking today. We're up to over 3,100 total listens. The um, total number of active listeners isn't really that high, but feel free to go out and share this, uh, share the episodes or tell your friends and stuff about it. If they want to hear a, a boring IT guy, talk to him for 15 to 30 minutes or something like that to tune in and uh, listen to the podcast. Don't forget to follow me on the uh, podcast from P-Town on Facebook, or you can follow me on P-Town Podcast on Twitter, or you can send me an email at ptownpodcast74 at gmail.com. That's it for this one. We'll see you on the next one.